0: You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Good good evening, Riverhouse. How is everyone doing? Well, I'm going to have you uh, stand up in just one moment. We're going to read uh, scripture together. I'm excited for the sermon series. Who's, who's ready to jump in? Who was here last week? Who was not here last week and you yelled anyway? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. Uh, we're going to continue. We're going to call this uh, dynamic paradox. And I kind of opened up the idea of DNA and how DNA is the, it's, it's what creates every cell of our bodies. And uh, we're going to lay a foundation of the DNA of Riverhouse, the core values of what makes us uh, Riverhouse, what this grace of God is, this holy seed that he's spoken and the promises and the identity that he's given us as a church family. And uh, we're going to lay this, I'm going to present this uh, over a series of weeks through the form of paradox. And so uh, the first one tonight, uh, it's, it's on intimacy and mystery. And so I'm going to have you stand, I'm going to read a couple verses, and then we will uh, go on a journey in the word of God together tonight. So this first is, it's John 13, 23 through 25. And it says, There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said, Tell us who it is of whom he's speaking. And he, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? then I'm gonna read a few verses from Revelation of the same disciple who Jesus loved. This is Revelation chapter one, verse 12 through 17. It says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. it had been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him... I fell at his feet like a dead man. That's the word of the Lord. Let's feel the presence of Jesus in this room. Can you get me some tissue? It is already coming. Thank you, Penny. So DNA is not so much about what we do, but it's about the building block of what will infuse all that we do here. And so uh, this is not going to be oriented around behaviors, but more about core principles, fundamentals that are actually creating uh, the environment of everything that we do. So we talk about prayer, you know, family and mission. Uh, those are things that we do, and there's a lot of different expressions of that. Uh, but these are more getting down even deeper from behaviors. These are down into core beliefs and understanding of who God is and the grace of God, that it's actually creating the environment that we're experiencing on a weekly basis. So tonight, talking of intimacy and mystery, uh, this is a paradox. And again, a paradox is when they're seemingly contradicting ideas contained within the same truth. And there's tension within paradox, and it's actually the navigating of that tension, which we can only do through relationship on, with God, that actually teaches us wisdom and teaches us how to process like God. That's a 30 second recap of last week. So if you weren't here, you can listen to it. Uh, and now we're going to go on a series of actually unpacking real live dynamic paradoxes that are shaping this community on a week to week basis. And so, intimacy. And mystery. So to define for you and make make you just really clear the appearing the appearance of the, the contradiction within this paradox is intimacy is this. This is just the dictionary. Closeness, familiarity, knowledge of, or friendship. Right? And the definition of mystery is something difficult or impossible to understand or explain. So God is desiring that we would both be intimate with him, and yet he is also a mystery, and this is a paradox that is very vital to Riverhouse Church. So when I speak of intimacy, closeness, familiarity, uh, there's a number of passages that I'll just list here, and you can do your own study, and this is all throughout Scripture, uh, but probably most poignantly would be John 17, where Jesus is praying for this union, that we would be one as him and the Father are one, uh, unified union in in some type of a, a, a mystical union that we don't quite understand, but we see all throughout, particularly John's gospel, Jesus using this language of absolute dependence, but such intimate connectivity to his Father. And then he invites his disciples, you and I, into that same type of union, John 15, which we talk about all the time here, that a vine be connected to its branch. There's an actual physical union. It's a spiritual union. There's an emotional union. Jesus says, I want to come and make my home inside of you, right? This is language of intimacy. Right, in Ephesians 3, which is a prayer I reference often, Paul says that we would know, yada, experientially come to know and grasp the love of God, which surpasses knowledge. Right, God is inviting us into intimacy. Right, it says that Enoch walked with God, which was a euphemism of familiarity. That was a friendship. John 15, later, John 15, 15, Jesus says, I've called you friends, Right, friends are familiar, friends know things. He says, friends will get things disclosed to them. In Galatians 5, it says that we're to keep in step, to walk with the Spirit. God has invited us to know him, to be familiar with him, to be very close to him, to be very comfortable with him. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right, God became a man and he lived with 12 guys. Like guys, do you get sick of living with guys sometime? right, why do you get sick of each other, because you won't get your peanut butter off the spoon, and you put it in the sink, (laughs) that Dave taught me that one, right, like, like, because we're so close, and familiar, it's like, dude, right, this is Jesus, like, we, sometimes I think we over-spiritualize, like, it was just this glow the whole time. No, they're probably like, Jesus is driving me crazy right now. He keeps taking the bet. you know, what? like, you know, they're in community, all right? Intimacy. God has invited us into the union that he has as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this perfect community, this perfect knowing. That is what heaven is, and we have been invited into it through the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ, right? And when we speak, of mystery, this is just as prevalent throughout the scriptures. And let's just start with John one, where it says that the eternal word that was with God and was God and was part of creating all of the cosmos became flesh. And as Eugene Peterson put it in the message, came and moved into our neighborhood. How do you comprehend that God became a man? The incarnation of Jesus Christ is perhaps the greatest mystery. We're, We're told that he was born of a virgin, an immaculate conception, which I do believe in. That is a mystery. How do you understand that? Right. Uh, Colossians verse one. Uh, this is, uh, sorry, not verse one. Chapter one. This is Paul, and he says, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is... The mystery, which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How do you understand that Christ lives inside of you? Right? Romans 1, it says that all creation reveals the glory of God. Right, you know, we're in this uh, travel uh, crazed world right now, and I, you know, you get on Instagram, you see these amazing pictures of places sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you ever got like overwhelmed? You're like, I'm never going to see like so much beauty that's on this earth, right? We could spend our entire lives trying to discover the glory of the earth go and travel to all the amazing places, but we would still probably fail to go to the depths of the Mariana Trench, to go to the heights of the Himalayas, to go to, go to just what the created earth carries, much less the beauty that we see in these, these telescopic images of black holes and, 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 and you know, these huge, massive, mega stars and galaxies that are beyond our reach. We can't explore what we can see. We can't even explore our own planet. And yet it is revealing the glory of God. It's a visual aid. The beauty of the world, what we've inherited as a gift, is a visual aid to teach us how unsearchable our God is. And then, Christ, and then Paul says, yeah, I'm going to make moan to you this mystery. The one in whom and by whom and through him all of it was created by. He lives inside of you. Anybody understand that one? No, it's a mystery. It's difficult or impossible to understand, to know, to explain, right? We, we talk about things like prophecy, healing, miracles. Do we understand how God speaks to us? I haven't figured it out. Do we understand why God heals and then someone else doesn't get healed in the same meeting? No, we haven't figured it out. There is so much mystery involved in, in Christianity, right? He is a God of intimacy, and he is a God shrouded in mystery. And that is a paradox that he has invited us to navigate and to hold intention throughout all the days of our lives. All right, so intimacy, I'm just gonna further kind of building an understanding of these very core things to our spirituality within Riverhouse, to our DNA. Right, so intimacy is predicated on the practice of vulnerability. Say vulnerability. Vulnerability. Who's heard vulnerability talked about around here? Who's been freaked out by vulnerability around River House? I have. Apparently you guys are liars. (laughs) So this is the definition of vulnerability. It is the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of harm, either physically or emotionally. That's what vulnerability is defined as. So vulnerability is a risk, but we have learned in our culture that we risk the exposure of vulnerability for the safety that comes in the connection of intimacy, right? Because you cannot have intimacy unless there's two-sided vulnerability, right? If there's one-sided vulnerability, there will always be a power dynamic at play, right? Think of a counseling office. Or think even it can be the person who's leading can be the vulnerable one and one invulnerable. But to have intimacy, right? And and ministry, leadership, those can be good. Power dynamics are not always bad, right? Jesus came and he was teaching his disciples, right? But the goal, what Jesus wants, and that's why he calls us his bride, is he wants intimacy, which is two-sided vulnerability. It is where the vulnerability of two free You know, individuals with free will choose to expose themselves to the potential of harm, being judged, being rejected, being whatever it is, right? You expose yourself, and there is intimacy that is created, right? And intimacy is one of the most beautiful gifts. It is what we are all longing for at a deep, fundamental level. It is to be seen and to see and to be known and to know. This is what heaven is. I I believe it was Augustine who actually said something along the lines of in heaven there will be no language because it won't be necessary. Language was recreated out of the brokenness of the fractures of humanity, but in heaven there's just seeing and knowing. You just see and you know. We're created for this, but it's predicated. We cannot get to the glory, the safety, the beauty, the comfort, the connection of intimacy unless we risk the exposure of vulnerability. And it is why we so relentlessly pursue vulnerability in this church. It is why we have things like journey to wholeness. Can I get an amen? Amen. The reason we do that, the reason that we would create something like that is because the DNA of this church is fundamentally, we believe in a God who wants real, raw, authentic, vulnerable connection with us. A God that exposes himself and becomes vulnerable. in the the hope, in the pursuit of our hearts that we will respond in the same way and experience intimacy, right? He's a God of intimacy. So intimacy is predicated on what? Vulnerability. Vulnerability, right? Now, mystery is predicated by the belief in the transcendence of God, right? We have mystery in our lives when we believe God is transcendent, And this is what transcendent means, above or beyond the range of normal or merely physical human experience. So a good synonym for this would be supernatural. The supernatural, a belief in the supernatural is actually what opens us up to experiencing mystery, Right? So in the same way that I can't experience intimacy unless I'm choosing to risk vulnerability, I will not be able to have a, an experience of, of knowing God as a mystery or beholding him. Knowing is probably the wrong word unless I have a fundamental belief that God is transcendent. I have an expectation of a supernatural activity and relationship with God because he is above and beyond my ability to perceive and understand and know. He is God creator and I am man. I am finite and limited. He is not, right? We have to believe this and that is why we believe in a supernatural culture around here. It is why we believe in things like tongues, and prophecy, and healing, and miracles, right, it is not because I think it's, like, really explainable, and I have a nice, like, no, I think it's weird, if I was trying to be cool, and relevant, and, like, fit in with mainstream culture, I would never believe in those things, (laughs) because it's like, yeah, I know, I know, it's weird, it is beyond me. It is supernatural. I can't understand it, and it doesn't matter how long I go. I'll never understand the full depths of who God is and how he operates. I just know it's supernatural. It's above me, right? And, and we can journey to know in part, but there's still a mystery. It's a mystery. It's impossible to understand. But we have a fundamental belief that God is transcendent. And so part of actually coming into that belief, because we can have, you know, how many of you know as Christians, we can have head beliefs that are different than heart beliefs, right? We can, we have like an intellectual brain that learns by study and scripture and ration. We have an emotional brain that learns by experience. So a lot of people have an intellectual belief in the transcendence of God, but their emotional brain does not believe in a transcendent God. It believes in, well, everything I see is actually very much within my own means, right? So we, we have to recognize that we're living in a culture that is actually, uh, has experienced a divorce between the spiritual realm and the natural realm. And the, the word for that would be Platonic dualism. And Plato was a philosopher that's very uh, significant in, in the history of the Age of Enlightenment and the scientific. Western world. Uh, he's, he's like a father of thought of, of Western culture. And he had a, a belief that the natural world uh, was like uh, sick and, and diseased and ugly and, and like less than, and the spiritual world was to be exalted. And that has not necessarily translated to the same today, but he, he severed this understanding that there are two separate things. If you go to nations like uh, India or Africa or other places in the world, they don't believe this. They see everything as it's one. It's spiritual, it's physical, because we're spiritual and we're physical. But we have a divorce in our minds that is very, very deeply ingrained because we've been raised in a Western scientific culture. And I am not anti-science, but we have to understand uh, that God has made us. We are both spirit and we are body, There is a spiritual realm, and there is a physical realm, and they're all happening at the same time, and they're not disconnected, and we can't put a box and say, well, how's your spiritual life doing? That question would make no sense to a Hebrew. They'd be like, what do you mean my spiritual life? I only have one life. There's no dualism in me. Right, this is part of what's created the 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 crisis where the church is locked in the church during spiritual things, and then they don't know how to be spiritual when they're doing natural things at work. Yeah. Right, it's because of this dualism. So we're mending. We're we're in a process of mending this divorce in our minds, so that God can actually bring us back into wonder and an understanding of His transcendence, His supernatural and breaking into our lives. I want to read one more quote, and this is. This is by, again, this is out of the Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Disciplines. Where's my mark? He says this. Often I've discovered that those who so freely debunk the spiritual world have never taken 10 minutes to investigate whether or not such a world really exists. Let me suggest we take an experiential attitude towards spiritual realities Like any other scientific endeavor, we form a hypothesis and experiment with it to see if it's true or not. If our first experiment fails, we don't despair or label the whole business fraudulent. We re-examine our procedure, perhaps adjust our hypothesis and try again. We should at least have the honesty to persevere in this work to the same degree we would in any field of science. The fact that so many are unwilling to do so betrays not their intelligence, but their prejudice. food for thought. I'm not going to try to solve that all for you. I'm just going to make you aware of that. <laughs> so intimacy is predicated on vulnerability. The, tra- the, the mystery of God, actually beholding his mystery is predicated on belief in a supernatural transcendent God and a supernatural transcendent relationship with this God. So, intimacy feels safe, cozy, familiar, like home, comfortable. Who's experienced that here? You walk in, you're like, I don't know why this feels like it's home. It's because you're feeling the effect of intimacy. You're feeling a safe environment that God wants you to feel really comfortable with Him, wants you to feel really safe with Him, wants you to feel just like you could be yourself. Warm, it's warm. Right. Mystery feels awesome and terrible. <laughs> this is John at the Patmos Vision in Revelation. I felt like a dead man at his feet. Right. Mystery feels alien, it feels very unfamiliar. The disciples who were with Jesus three hours earlier on the shore and joking around are now on the boat and he's walking on the water. They say, get away from us, you're a ghost. Same Jesus, same God. We've used language that we want you to come on Sundays and feel so safe, but also with an awareness of you do not know what God's gonna do next. This is intimacy and mystery. This is the God that we're coming to commune with. All right? Here's the tension. I want to build some tension here for you. Intimacy without mystery creates friendship without the fear of the Lord. All right? So you can fall into the trap of emotional brain here, emotionally believing that you know and understand who God is. Those are nervous laughs. That's what happens. When we have intimacy without mystery, we get real familiar with God. I think I know him. I think I got him figured out. I've been a Christian for 40 years. I got it figured out. No, he is the God who created the galaxies and all creation reveals just an aspect of his glory. He is absolutely unsearchable. We're just at the beginning of the beginning of understanding who this God is. When you... Start to believe emotionally believe. I'm not talking about intellectual. I'm talking about your emotional brain believes that you understand God. You will put him in a box, you'll lose your sense of wonder and ultimately lose sight of His glory. You'll be blind to it. And if we flip it, and we, if we have mystery without intimacy, we get the fear of the Lord without friendship. And we emotionally fall into the trap of believing that God is far too high, holy, lofty, powerful to be involved in the little details of my life. And he becomes unapproachable. He becomes distant. We lose our sense of comfort and safety. And ultimately that severs us from connection. We have to have both. We have to have uh, an emotional, right, an experiential understanding, like not just theology, but our whole person. We have to be able to hold this tension of intimacy and mystery at the same time, All right? So I'm gonna give you a couple keys on how to navigate the tension of this paradox, All right? And revelation is the bond between intimacy and mystery, All right, say that, revelation. revelation. Revelation is the bond between intimacy and mystery, Revelation is defined as this, the making known of something that was previously secret or unknown. In a spiritual sense, revelation can mean divine disclosure. Right, so revelation, this making known of things that were previously unknown, is actually the bond between intimacy and mystery in our lives. It's actually what opens us up to both sides of it. Right, and then wisdom, which we talked about last week, we learn wisdom navigating the tension of paradox, right? Because we can't just, we can't just, because principles are static. Remember this? Principles are static, but paradox is dynamic because it's always changing, it's always moving. I have to constantly be navigating in any situation. So, God's teaching us how to process. So, wisdom, I'm gonna read some scriptures here, and you're gonna see revelation and you're gonna see wisdom. A lot. Wisdom is simply the substance of the revelation, right? So if something was made known to me, that something that was made known is wisdom. Does that make sense? All right? So, so follow me here, and you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, and I think we will have this, the verse up there, but if not, I lied. Uh, let's go Ephesians 3. We're, we'll start verse 2 through 7. Well, let's just start at verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. So what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, by revelation, I had a revelation And God took the mystery that had been hidden, and he revealed this mystery to me. Does this make sense? Paul's saying, uh, this mystery that was unknown to me, it became known to me by revelation. Good? All right, now let's keep going. Verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles The unfathomable riches of Christ, unfathomable, incomprehensible, and to bring to light, say that, bring to light, right, is another way of saying, to make known what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So what's Paul saying here? By revelation, the mystery was made known to me, and now he's given me grace that I can make it known to you so that this, this mystery can actually be turned to knowledge. Right? He's like saying, I, I, I can take of the mystery, and now I've been anointed by God to bring you into the knowledge of the mystery that I know. All right, now, now turn left a little bit to 1 Corinthians. Chapter, chapter 2. Paul's like, I'm, I'm gonna take the mystery, I wanna make it known to you so that you can come into intimacy, right? Now watch this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 2, verse six. This is Paul. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age or of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in what? In a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood. For if they had understood it, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And which have not entered the heart of man. All that God has prepared for them. For those who love him. For to us, God revealed, say revealed, revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So now check it. This is, this is the exact opposite. Now Paul says, yeah, but to the mature, this is what I do. I speak wisdom in a mystery so that you have to navigate that mystery so that it can draw you into the depths of God. He's saying, I go and I only preach Christ crucified and the power of the Holy Spirit, but to the mature, I come and I speak wisdom in a mystery, meaning beyond your ability to cognate with your own mind. The only way you'll get it is if you go to the depths of God, because that's where I got it. So as I make known to you the mystery with wisdom, that wisdom is in a mystery, and it's going to draw you back down to the depths of God into intimacy. Are you confused? This is the tension of paradox. But this is the point I'm trying to make. Revelation is the bond between intimacy and mystery. Intimacy because revelation makes known to you things that were previously unknown and hidden. And then in making those things known to you, it links you to mystery because as you come into that knowing, you also come into an awareness of how much more you do not know. I'm serious. Who's had this experience? Right? You, God, God makes known to you Wisdom, and you come in, and then you're like, oh my gosh. Now I know so much more I do not know. So this is what I want to say. This is how you know that you are navigating the tension of this paradox. It is when both revelation and humility are evident in your life. Revelation, you're constantly pioneering deeper into knowing Christ who surpasses and to know his love. You're constantly finding hidden things about him revealed to you. You're constantly going deeper into this knowing and this familiarity and this connection and this love and this intimacy. And at the same time, you're also experiencing great humility because, right, you know someone is you're, you, you've let go of tension. If you start getting haughty about my revelations, because you've lost you've lost sight, you've lost sight of the tension. Because if you, the revelation actually opens you up to greater frontiers of God that you have never even begun to know. Right? There should be no arrogance or pride about your history in God. People say, how can someone be so like Jesus to walking in power? walking?" In power? You should be afraid they'll get prideful. No, not if you have this tension. Because the more you know him, the more you do not know of him. And your longing, that lovesick longing just awakens. So it's Tense, the way you know you're, you're, you're holding both of these, revelation, humility in your life. At the core of this paradox is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He is the mystery of God. This is Colossians 2. It says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those at Laodicea, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from a full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. Jesus Christ, God become man. He is the mystery of God. And at the same time, he is the one who explains the mystery to us, which is in John verse 1, chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he's explained him. the navigation of all the tension and the wrestling and and the being humbled by perhaps experiencing God in ways that you don't own or understand or make you uncomfortable and the embracing of, of the exposure of vulnerability and coming into connection with God, like all that's entailed in this, it will lead you to Jesus, to this God became man because Jesus came to put a face on God. And now he's called you and me to put a face on Christ. That is the mystery. So in a strange way, intimacy actually is the greatest mystery. (laughs) I'm not trying to answer questions for you. I'm trying to produce questions. In our searching to know God, to know the unknowable, we will be forced to relinquish our desire to possess, to own, or to control. And we will learn to relinquish and become present to what God is wanting us to behold. We have to relinquish. We don't get to possess. We don't get to understand and know like we're the ones with the power. As we relinquish, we enter the joy of just beholding. I behold you, the same disciple that had his face against Jesus's chest. It's the one who fell like a dead man at his feet. We will never be in control. but we get the beauty and the gift and the privilege of simply beholding Jesus, the mystery of God, who also explains the mystery of God, who also is alive inside of me, drawing me into union. (laughs) We must allow him to simultaneously be to us both desire fulfilled and desire awakened. He's good at it. He's good at it. I feel like God wants to bring us back into tension tonight. And there's some of you, uh, particularly, I feel like He's wanting to bring back attention and, and really tie intimacy. You've, you've had an intimacy with Jesus, but you've lost this, this wonder. Friendship without the fear of the Lord, which also can be true in our interpersonal relationships. And I've heard it deemed a a spirit of familiarity. We should be more in awe of our, our friends and our spouses and the people that we rub shoulders with all the time. We should be more in awe with them of them the longer that we're in relationship but we know our human tendency is the opposite and I'm with you on that right, so these, these tensions, this DNA, it's affecting human and divine relationship but it'll also manifest in human to human relationship right, and a fear of the Lord is one of the greatest gifts that we can be given the mending of this divide between the spirit and the natural. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but Ephesians 1, this is where I want to close today. This is Paul praying. He has two great prayers in Ephesians. The first is Ephesians 1, uh, verse 16 through like uh, 23. And then the second is Ephesians 3:14 through 21. Uh, but in this first prayer, in Ephesians 1, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened or flooded with light. And I, I feel like God wanted me to pray and have a, a time for us to respond, but we're going to just do it silently to actually invite that God would come and fill us with a spirit of wisdom and revelation that would actually draw us into the tension of being in relationship with a God of intimacy who is also a God of mystery. And there may be repentance that some of you want to make tonight, Uh, repentance for, for pride or arrogance surrounding revelation, Uh, repentance for spiritual boredom, thinking that you've got it all figured out, Uh, for skepticism about things of the spiritual aspect of God, which is actually man putting God in the box of our own comfort zones. And, And God just wants, he's just inviting like this to say, you know, God, repentance is to change the way you think. It's not to cry on the floor and say how sorry you are. It's to say, I'm ready for new perspective. And I ask that you'd fill me with wisdom and revelation that would actually give me the ability to enter into new perspective. This is all about grace. And if we're to go into the depths of Jesus, it's actually his love that will fuel our pursuit of his depths. So tonight, we're gonna ask that grace would come. And you may, you may wanna repent. I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes. And if there's areas that you need to repent for, you just tell Jesus you're sorry and say, I'm ready to change the way that I think about you. And I'm ready to to open up to new perspective. And I'm ready to let you be God in all that you are, a God of intimacy and a God of mystery in my life. Now, just ask the Lord softly, quietly. You can whisper, or within your own heart. Just say, Father, I ask that you fill me with a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. You are the God of mysteries who reveals mysteries. You're a God of intimacy who's always drawing us deeper into intimacy. Lord, we relinquish our desire to understand right now and we ask that you would just fill us, fill us with a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Edify our inner man. God, open the eyes of our hearts, flood them with light, I ask in the name of Jesus, that we will be able to see and perceive with greater clarity, depth, and insight into the mystery of who you are. God, make known to us the riches of this mystery like you made them known to the Apostle Paul. Lord, we invite you to come and speak and to reveal secret and hidden things in your scriptures, through your scriptures, through Christian community, God, through the beauty of how you've expressed yourself over the centuries. Reveal still, God, the depths of your glory, we ask. Feel me, ah, oh God. Feel me, a oh God. Feel me, oh fail me, ah, oh. me, oh. Fill me oh God. Fill Lord, I ask that our minds will shift down into our hearts. They will sink deep into an environment of love and knowing, and that you will enlighten our hearts and enlighten our minds with the wisdom and the revelation of heaven. Just put that in your own words to God. It says to boldly approach the throne of grace and to ask him for grace. Ask him to open your eyes. God, draw us into the tension of this paradox. God, that we will bear the fruit of revelation and humility in our lives. And the further we go, God, and the more that we know, God, the more in awe of who you are as a God of mystery we become. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the greatness of who you are. And it is our joy to be in relationship with you. Just going to stay here. Uh, Ministry team, you can come forward if you'd like. And we'll just soft close service. Uh, If you like ministry, we'd love to pray for you. We can turn the lights down. And you have space to just behold God. And you're also blessed to leave. May the peace of Christ go with you and may his spirit provoke you ever further into knowing the God of intimacy and beholding the God of mystery. Be blessed. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.